Welcome to Focus. So thrilled to see, well, I can't actually see, but so thrilled to know that you're joining us today for this celebration that we're having together online. And welcome to all of you, all the different network churches. It's so thrilling that we're all coming together for this occasion. And especially welcome to anyone who's never been to Focus before. So great that you're joining us for the first time. Maybe you've done Alpha this year or Alpha online. It's wonderful that you're joining us today. I have to say, I am really missing focus. I miss just everything about it. I miss the celebrations in the big top, the encounters with God, the amazing worship, the picnics, the drinks in the walled gardens. I kind of almost miss the occasional shower rain or the odd tent being blown away. And strangely, because I am a kind of massive introvert, I'm missing the people, I'm missing you. Because I just long to be with you all, because I love you all so much. I want to talk to you today about being an extremist for love and justice. The prophet Amos said this, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Martin Luther King was one of the most significant civil rights leaders of the 20th century. On the 28th of August, 1963, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., aged 34, led the march to Washington DC and delivered before hundreds of thousands of followers assembled on the Lincoln Memorial, one of the greatest speeches of the 20th century, the I Have a Dream speech. He spoke of his dream that his four little children would one day live in a nation where they were no longer judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And in that speech, he quoted Amos and he said, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Earlier that year, he wrote a letter from the jail he was in, in Birmingham, Alabama. He was there for leading a peaceful, non-violent protest. In fact, he was in jail for the very things that he would get the Nobel Peace Prize for the following year. And while he was in prison, he wrote this. But though I was initially disappointed to be categorized as an extremist, as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemy. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? In that dramatic scene on Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth and goodness. Why did 
Martin Luther King keep quoting this verse from Amos? Why is this verse from Amos so relevant to us today? It comes from the 8th century BC. In fact, Amos was the first prophet to have his words recorded in a book in the Bible. King Jeroboam II had turned the economy round. Assyria, <coughs> the arch enemy of Israel, was distracted by their internal issues. And the people felt safe. They were looking around at the other countries and seeing all the terrible things they were up to, but they felt okay. Unlike the other places, they had their conferences, conventions, five-year goals, fundraising schemes, PR, slogans, great worship. And then along came a disruption. Like we've had a disruption. I think COVID-19 has been a disruption for us. The killing of George Floyd has been a disruption. And their disruption came in the form of a prophet, Amos, who was just, a, well, I say just, he was a farmer. He, was, he wasn't ordained, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a minister, he was a shepherd. And he came with a message from God and the context of it. This is the message version of the, the context of this verse. And in this prophecy, Amos is an extremist and he uses kind of like poetic language, hyperbole, kind of exaggerated language, perhaps to try and get us to laugh at ourselves. But he says this, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Now, of course, there is nothing wrong with worship. The Bible has a lot to say about the positive things and the beauty and importance of worship. And the songs that are coming out of the network at the moment are wonderful and beautiful. And I'm sure they're pleasing to God. The, the blessing, the, the UK blessing, which you were all involved in and Tim Hughes led so wonderfully, that was a beautiful song of worship. So he's not saying these things are wrong, but he's saying reorder your priorities. And I think that's what we have to do now. We have to pivot on our priorities. And maybe it's a good thing that focus isn't happened physically this year because it gives us an opportunity to rethink our priorities and to pivot around this theme of justice and righteousness. Amos preaches against oppression and the exploitation of the poor who were sold into slavery, dispossessed, exploited, ignored. And our nation and our world face right now great injustices. The disease of racism, oppression and poverty inextricably linked, modern day slavery, domestic violence, poverty caused by climate change, poverty caused by the unequal distribution of food. Martin Luther King described poverty as a monstrous octopus that spreads its tentacles all over the world. I heard recently that there are nine and a half million people every year who die just of starvation. That's nearly a million a month. And half of those are children. 
And even here right now in the UK, it's like we have a famine on our doorstep. One and a half million people have gone a day without food simply because they can't afford it. I know in Preston, your Love Your Neighbour team came across a 49-year-old disabled man who was sucking on a tea bag because he was so desperate. I read that a woman in Scotland, 94 years of age, she was found by the Salvation Army. She'd gone five days without food. Two and a half thousand children have been admitted recently to our hospitals suffering from severe malnutrition. This is shocking. We need an all-out war against poverty. And that's why what you have all been involved in in the last few months has been amazing. Love your neighbour. Do you realise between you, you've served nearly two million meals to people who were hungry? You have provided hot meals for doctors and nurses on the front line. You've got medicines to people who, who needed them. You have made phone calls to people who are vulnerable and in isolation. And you have helped people with debt counselling in all kinds of amazing ways. You have been involved in this fight against poverty. Thousands of you have volunteered during lockdown. You've been in, engaged in this battle against injustice. You've given your resources. So many of you have given generously to love your neighbour. If you've done that, or if you've prayed for it, you're involved in this battle against injustice. You're letting justice roll like a river. And many of you I know right now are actively engaged in the battle against racism. You have acknowledged, we've all had to acknowledge our part. You've listened to the voices of people. You've spoken out. You've been involved in practical ways in helping, in giving. You've been involved in educating. We've all had to educate ourselves. Auditing your churches and changing the leadership structures. You've been advocating for change. You've prayed. Some of you like you've been intercessors like Moses prayed on the hill while Joshua fought in the valley. And many of you too have had a prophetic voice in this battle against this terrible evil of racism. But the war against racism is not over. And we need to continue to speak out at this time. Is this because we're like ignoring other issues? No. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's like in the accident emergency department, if someone comes in who's had a heart attack, everyone turns to that person, even though the needs of the other people are great and important and will be met in due course. But right now, we are at a historic moment. This is a moment where there's an opportunity to change. And the church must take the lead. The Bible has so much to say about injustice. Jesus, who himself was subject to gross injustice, came proclaiming justice to the nations. And our approach is not the same as the world's approach. We have a distinctively Christian approach. So what is distinctive? Here's the first thing. Our motivation is the love of God. God's passion for justice stems from his love for you and for me. Every human being, black and white, rich and poor are created in the image of God. 99.9% .9 of our DNA is the same. Everyone is a soul of infinite value 
and every one of you of us is loved by God. You are loved. Racism is not a black or brown issue. It's a human issue, it's a gospel issue, and we must not fail to speak out. I was privileged to practice as a barrister in this country. My father also practiced as a barrister, but before that, he was a barrister in Germany, in Nazi Germany. And in 1933, he was disbarred. He was stopped from practicing because he was Israelite. He was Jewish. And who spoke out? And then when many of his family were taken off to concentration camps, who spoke out? You know, my father was a secular agnostic Jew by race, but he always admired Dietrich Bonhoeffer because Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few Christians who spoke out against the abhorrent evil of racism. And this is what gives me hope today. It's when I see white people marching alongside black people, speaking out, solidarity. John Lewis, the civil rights activist, not to be confused with John Lewis, the department store. He died last week at the age of 80. He was one of the big six, together with Martin Luther King, who led the bridge protest in Selma, Alabama, and later continued the crusade against racism as a US congressman. He was a politician. He had thought about being a Baptist minister, but he ended up as a politician. And when he was 25 years old, he helped to lead those 600 peaceful protesters across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. When they knelt to pray, the troopers attacked, firing rounds of tear gas. He had a fractured skull and concussion. He was arrested at least 45 times in his life for non-violent protests. And when Barack Obama became the first African-American president, he sent a picture of himself and he just, just wrote on the back basically that he had become president because of you, John. And almost his last words before he died, John Lewis said this, this feels and looks so different, talking about the marches that are taking place right now. It's so much more massive and all inclusive because white people are recognizing their duty to stand by their brothers and sisters who are like them made in the image of God. He said, there will be no turning back. We have to keep speaking out because our motivation is God's love for every human being. Second distinctively Christian feature is the model. The model is the humility of Jesus. St. Paul said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. People say that the world has today has no doctrine of sin. Actually, the world has a very strong doctrine of sin. They're very strong red lines. And if you cross one of those red lines, you you have committed a kind of like unforgivable sin. You get cancelled. There's this cancel culture. So what the world lacks is not a doctrine of sin. What the world lacks today is a doctrine of redemption. Jesus came to redeem the world. He was in his very nature God, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. And this is the place where love and justice meet at the cross. And then God raised him to life. And that was the defeat of all evil, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He died and was raised to life so that we can be forgiven and made righteous. That's the righteousness that Amos speaks about, a right relationship with God, which leads to a right relationship with other people. That's why Alpha is so important. It's about helping people to encounter Jesus, to come into a right relationship with God and then a right relationship with others. Jesus has made it possible for you and me to be totally forgiven. All of our sins, even the sin of racism, can be forgiven. Jesus died to bring us together. Karen Gibson is a member of our congregation. She leads the Kingdom Choir and she spoke about how when her mum arrived in this country with the Windrush generation, she looked for a church like her one in Guyana and she started going to this church and after a few weeks the, the vicar said to her, thanks for coming but don't come back please. Many, many years later, probably about 37 years later, Karen was doing some business at a church where she was going to do a concert and she went along to this church with her mum and as her mum looked up at the church, she recognised it as the one that she was turned away from all those years ago. And they walked inside and they were greeted by the vicar who Karen describes as a friendly and trendy lady in her early 40s who sauntered out in her sports gear with as big a smile. And she asked very sensitively, she asked uh, Karen's mum, is this your first time? Have you been here before? And then she could see from the expression on her face. And then she looked at Karen's face and the sort of embarrassment, she, she realised, she had the sensitivity to realise what had happened. And when she realised that she'd been turned away on her first visit, uh, this is what Karen says, this wonderful, love-filled woman dropped to her knees in front of mum and with heartfelt repentance poured out the most impassioned apology. And later, with tear-filled eyes, she begged for forgiveness of those who have been wronged by the institution she represented. And I want to do that too. I am just so sorry. I said to Karen, when we were talking about this, I said, I am so sorry for what the institution I'm part of did to you. It is absolutely appalling what we did to your mother. We are so sorry. And Karen's mum just, smiled with forgiveness and Karen says who would have thought that all those years later in the 70th year of Windrush reconciliation and healing could be found through the love and conscience of a woman who had not been born when the offence had been committed but who cared enough for an old woman she'd never met to embrace her on bended knee that's the right attitude bended knee this is the ministry of Jesus. Humility, forgiveness and reconciliation. Love and justice meet at the cross. Justice rolls like a mighty river. Righteousness flows like a never-ending stream.
This is uniquely Christian. The third distinctive feature is the movement, the tenacity of the Holy Spirit. Justice will roll down like a river. The mighty streams lead into rivers that just keep flowing. It speaks of abundance, tenacity, eternity. This is the language that Jesus used about the Holy Spirit. He said, whoever believes in me, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said this about the Holy Spirit, who those who believed in him, that's you and me, were later to receive. You have the Holy Spirit. You have these rivers of living water living within you. Jesus himself fulfilled the promise of Isaiah. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of justice. I listened to a talk by a woman called Amy Hunter, an African-American mother of four, talk she gave in a church in the US. And she, she said that when her twin boys were about 10, her husband and herself sat them down and gave them the talk about what to do if they were stopped. She said, this is not the time to stand up for yourself. This is not the time to express your civil rights. It's not the time to be indignant. It's not the time to question law enforcement. We just need you to do whatever they say because we don't want to identify your body. We don't want to sit in the front pew. We want you to come home. We will handle whatever happens after that as long as you get to us. At the age of 12, my son Ashton was stopped by the police on his way home. He remembered what we'd said, but he was flustered, so he starts asking me questions. He said, I don't understand. Like I'm wearing sperry topsiders and khakis and a polo shirt. It's tucked in. I have my belt on. Because in his mind, as long as he looked a certain way, what we told him was going to happen wouldn't happen. At 12 years old, I knew, and then he knew, that what he was wearing would not matter. And so he asked a bunch of questions. Is it because I'm black? I said, Ashton, I don't know. Maybe. He asked so many questions that day, but it was his last question that got me. He looked at me and he said, Mummy, I just want to know, how long will this last? And I looked at my 12-year-old son and I said, for the rest of your life. I went to Ferguson, Missouri protests because I don't want that to be true anymore. We fight like hecky do for a kid, right? like seven or eight times tear gassed, getting shot at, right? I'm willing to do that because I would rather die fighting for my children to be free than to live watching them be captive. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of justice who will not give up. He gives us to fight like hecky do for justice. This is what the Peter stream at Simulitis is all about. It's about raising up those trapped underground by the injustice of racism or poverty to lead. Isaiah prophesied that it would be the broken, the oppressed, who will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. They will be called priests of the Lord and named ministers of our God. Something stunningly beautiful is happening. 
with these emerging ministers and priests demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God. And my appeal to all of you today is let's never give up on this fight. Let's not be satisfied until justice rolls like a river, righteousness like a mighty stream. As Martin Luther King said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving. Until one day, we all stand before Jesus from every nation, tribe, people and language. Loved by God, redeemed by Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, a beautiful, diverse church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to what the Holy Spirit may have been saying to each of us today. I, we're going to pray that prayer. We always pray and focus. Picture yourself right now in the big top. The Holy Spirit is present with us in your home just as much as the big top. But this is an opportunity for you to receive just as you would have done at focus in that gathering. Lord, that's our prayer right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill each one of us. Now, I encourage you. I, I, I believe that, that some of you just sense you want to get back into a right relationship with God or into a right relationship with God for the first time. And there may be things that have come to your mind, things that you need to just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. God loves you and he wants to be in a close, intimate relationship with you. So just say in your heart, Lord, I'm so sorry. Whatever comes to mind, if there are things you need to ask forgiveness for, ask forgiveness. And then thank Jesus that he died on the cross for you. He came in humility to die for me and for you. And then simply say, Lord, I trust you. And I ask you now to come and fill me with your spirit. And we've had a prophetic word, which I want to read out to you from Hosea chapter six. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Some of you may feel like that, that, that in the last few months you've been torn to pieces. God's promising that he will heal you. You may feel you've been injured, but God will bind up your wounds. That's his promise to you today. And I also sense right now that God is anointing some of you right now to make a difference. Some of you, it could be in whatever job you're in, like Amos was a farmer and God anointed him and used him to make a difference, to speak God's word to the situation. Some of you, maybe in your, your job, your workplace, that's where God has called you to be and you can make a difference where you are. Some of you might be in the political realm, like, like John Lewis, the, the congressman. 
and God used him in, in the government to make a difference. And some of you he's calling right now, I believe, to be priests and ministers of our God, as the prophet Isaiah put it, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. He's anointing you, he's calling you. Some of you, it's for the Peter's dream. You've come from a background where you just think, God could never call me from, I didn't see people who look like me or people like me are underrepresented in the Church of England. Well, it, this is for you. It's open to all right now. And I'd encourage you, even in your home, if you have a sense of that calling, to put up your hand. You may be the only person who can see, but, you, but God can see. And if you put up your hand, you're saying, Lord, I, I'm interested. I want, to, I want to investigate this. And um, you know, we'll put up the details of how you can uh, pursue this. And, but I, I, I believe you are like coming forward in the big top. By doing that, it's like you're stepping out to the front. And the Spirit of God is anointing you. Some of you, as you put up your hand, you felt the Holy Spirit come on you. And that's because he was anointing you to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to set the prisoners free. And you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You're going to restore, renew the cities. This is an amazing work of God that is going on. We've heard stories today of people who planted churches in cities and made a difference. And you could be one of those in the future. Right now, God is calling people and he may very well be calling you. The Spirit of God is at work. And just as he was in the eighth century with Amos, just as he was in Jesus' day, today, right now, from the day of Pentecost onwards, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. No one is missed out. And you today can be filled, anointed, empowered to go out and to make a difference in our world. In Jesus' name. Amen.